0: Several people were asking me this morning what's the what's the one J in the corner of our slide? I didn't know. I just I'm just a pastor here. <clears throat> but it stood for first John. So that's that's what we're studying this this quarter of this series, the book of First John. So that's what the one J stands for. And then the second question I got this morning is why is the drummer in a box? So if you're wondering that, well, we we used a different drum set and different drum of for the concert last night, and uh, we just kept it up. There it is. We have another drum set. Don't know which one's coming next week. You know, it's just, again, just the pastor. They do things around here, and they don't tell me. All right, but uh, now you know what I know. Let's look at First John this morning. We want to look, uh, continue in our series in chapter 2, and we'll um, come to a section that uh, I'm calling A Love God Hates. The Love God Hates, chapter 2, verse 12 um, through 17. 1 John 2, 12 through 17. Let me read it. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. And I write to the same three groups, almost the same, three, same words again. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you're strong. And the Word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world or the, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that 's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever a love God hates how is it to how is it we could hate love? Put it to you this way, some of you have been in a relationship i 've been in relationships like this where You'd love somebody, and that love just turns selfish and mean and abusive, and now it's become a love you hate. It's not the love you signed up for at all. Or if you're a parent, you've been in a situation where your daughter or your son they start to date someone or they start going out with someone or they start to get really serious with somebody and that somebody you know is going to hurt them and somebody inquires what do you think of your daughter or your son their relationship that's a love i hate that's going to hurt it's not going to turn out i know the way i wish it would then you begin to see that there are loves that you hate. And God has a love that he hates. And he mentions it right there in verse 15. He says, do not love the world or things in the world. I don't like that. He says, that's not a love I want you to have. If you anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not even in him. That would, that would be something that's disagreeable to God. God hates it. Um, it's going to cause hurt. He addresses that whole subject with these descriptions to three groups, little children, fathers, and young men. I want us to see here a tenderness that we sometimes don't see in the Scriptures, uh, how God is introducing this love that He hates by addressing... Three groups. And the three groups he addresses, as I've mentioned, little children, young men, and fathers, older men. I don't think he's trying to eliminate anybody. He's just given three categories that represent the church. In other words, when he says little children, he's not excluding babies. If he were talking about real little children, real babies, they wouldn't even understand what he was talking about. He's talking to a category of young people that's underneath the next category. And then when he mentions young men, he's clearly in the description talking about the fighters, that generational part of our life where we're we're fighting, we're working hard to make it for everybody else. And then he gets to this third category, the category of fathers. He says, you've been around a while. You've known the father from the beginning, You're the older ones. I don't think he's trying to eliminate women or other people. He's just categorizing the church into three groups. The younger, the middle-agers that are the fighters, the breadwinners, the workers, and those who are older. Maybe in the retirement kind of age group that are overseers and fathers of the rest. And as you look at those groups, I want us to think, you know, how would we categorize those? In other words, he's not talking about physical groups, men, women, certain ages. He's talking about really more of a spiritual dimension. These descriptions, I think, are more spiritual than they are physical. To the spiritual young, to those who... They haven't done much in their spiritual life yet. They lack confidence. They're not sure that they are always forgiven. They're not sure that they're always in Christ. They're not sure that they're always on the path. They they lack confidence just because of their spiritual youthfulness. If you were to ask the fathers or the middle group, what do you think about the spiritual young? Sometimes you'll hear, oh, they're just punks. They don't know nothing. Well, that group exists. And they struggle with the descriptions that they have been given by others. And God comes along and he addresses them first. And he addresses them individually individually. There's tenderness just in that. And then this middle-aged group that he calls young men. I'm writing to you: you're overcomers. You overcome the evil one. Um, You're a fighter in overcoming the evil one. And God's word is in you. You use the word. Well, again, think about the tenderness of addressing that group and saying, you know, I'm proud of you. You're a fighter. You're using God's word. And you're, you're standing strong and tough. And then he comes to this third group of people and says, you may feel like you this father group. You may feel like you've lost your passion. You may feel like you've lost your drive. You may feel like you don't know how much longer you have that you can go on. And he says, but you've stood the test of time. You know about duration. You know about faithfulness. You know about being around a long time. And that's significant. And you're a significant part of the body of Christ as well. I think he's trying to just include all of us. And saying, yeah, you're different. You're at different stages in life. But those differences matter and those differences at times need to be celebrated they just need to be called out we need to acknowledge who we are as i was trying to think of a way to illustrate this suppose you're walking down main street and you're you're the mom and you're holding your little daughter's hand and you've told her a hundred times you know don't cross the street without looking both ways you know stay with mom we're in traffic whatever but you're walking down the street holding my little girl's hand and all of a sudden without warning she jerks loose and she's running across the street and you reach out you lunge for her as fast as you can everything you can to grab her arm and pull her back in and the horns are blowing tires are screeching your heart's beating out of your chest you almost lost your daughter (laughs) And then you start screaming and hollering. And how many times have I told you? You don't run across the street when mom's here. You wait for mom. You look both ways. I mean, however you want to say it, you're livid trying to explain to her she almost lost her life because she wasn't obeying her mom. And grandma's there with you too. And grandma's just praying. She's been around. She's seen this more times than she cares to remember. You get home and after you get home dad comes in. And dad comes in and of course everybody's got to tell dad what just happened. How we almost, he almost lost a daughter. And as he thinks about the scenario he thinks I bet my daughter's already had all the instructions she can handle. I bet my wife's already blamed herself for so many things. Grandma's told her whatever she needs to tell her. And so he goes into his daughter's room and he picks her up. And he says, little child, little little girl, he said, I know you've probably already been told everything you need to be told. I want you to know, yeah, you messed up, but your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You're okay. And dad and mom, we just want you to know we love you. And then he goes to his wife and he embraces her. And as he embraces his wife, he says, you're such a fighter. You're such an overcomer. You're always there for our kids. And you fight for them. Their lives matter so much to you. I am so proud of you. They couldn't have... A better mother and then he goes to the grandmother he embraces her just so glad you were there today your prayers are answered you're a warrior you stay through the thick and thin you're always there when we need you see I want to be a dad like that right doesn't that sound like the words of 1st John where God says Little children, your sins are forgiven. You're going to struggle at times, and you're going to wonder whether or not you're going to make it. I just want you to know you're loved, and your sins are forgiven. And for those of you in that middle age, and you're just always fighting, and you're always tired, but yes, you're an overcomer, and your fight is worth it, and it matters and lives are being changed because of it. And for those of you who are older, so glad we've got your perspective and your duration and your faithfulness. Because it's so encouraging to be able to look down the path and see you've made it. And you're in front of us. And you're still leading the way. I think God wants us to have this view of Him that He knows who we are He knows our stages of life. And he knows that there is a fruitful life for us wherever we are. Um, And you see, that's not in the world. Some of you who weren't here last week, let me remind you of 1 John 2. We started with 1 John 2 verse 1 and, and 2, which talks about Christ being the propitiation for our sins. And Christ has so changed us and transformed us and made us His own that we have a new heart. And that new heart does not in any way earn us salvation, but it confirms that Christ is our propitiation. And it confirms it two ways. We start having a love for God's commands. Verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. We have a love for God's church. The next section. The people of God. He says, that's confirmed. You see, that's not in the world. The world doesn't care about God's commands. The world doesn't care about God's church. But we do. It changes us. It matters. And then he comes right into verse 12. And I want you to see this matters whether you're little children, whether you're the younger, the older crowd, the fighters, or whether you're the fathers. And mothers of the church. The world is blind. They miss it. But I get it, God says. And I care about you. Right where you are. Um, I hope that helps you to just think about where you are in life. And to know we have a God who cares. A God who knows us. Who God is is sensitive to right where we are. Then he teaches us something a little bit more. In verse 15, he wants to, to sanctify us. And his teaching tells us don't love the world or the things in the world. And that kind of seems strange. God's the creator of the world, he created something he doesn't want us to appreciate, doesn't want us to love. What's going on there? As you start to think, what, what is this love of the world that he doesn't want us to have? You can do a word study, which becomes extremely difficult. I've done it, and it's time-consuming. There are 190 references to the word world in the New Testament. So, If you do the word study, you've got to look up 190 references to see what world means. What you will find is there are a world of meanings to world. Okay? So you, every time you get to a context, you've got to determine what is the meaning of the world here. I'll give you a, maybe three examples. There's more than that of the different meanings of world. But first of all, there's clearly in Scripture the use of the word world for material world. The earthly, physical world that we live on, that we walk on, that world that God created. Um, there's that world. Uh, Does he say, I don't want you to love the physical world? No, he's not saying that. That's not the love he hates. A love for the physical world. He wants us to enjoy the beauty of the earth, the heavens that declare the glory. He wants us to love that world. There's another world. How about the magistrate world? That world that's a government-controlled world. In the New Testament, it would have been the world of Rome. Under Roman authority. Under Roman government. Here, it's it's the American world. It's the world of the United States of America. That's a world that God says, No, I want you to submit to the governing authorities over you. It's not a world that He wants us to hate. So we don't hate that world. We don't hate the physical world. Uh, there's other worlds we don't hate as, as well. Like just... The world of mankind in general, uh, some of that world lives in our home. They may be our spouse. They may be our children. God doesn't want you to love them, uh, I mean, hate them, even though they're the world. They're mankind in general, male and female, young and old, a world of people. Oh, God's not asking us to hate as a matter of fact, some of those might not even be friendly towards us, and yet God says, love your enemies. They're people He doesn't want us to hate. This sea of people that He's created. How would we do evangelism? How, how would we share the love of Christ if we chose to hate that group? So those are not the way 1 John 2.15 is defining the world, word world. How is it? Again, as I said, just look at the context. It tells you. And what I want you to see from the context is when he's using the word world here, he's speaking about the value, the values of the world. The values of the world. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father's not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is. He's going to define it. What world are we talking about And its values? All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the world he hates. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those who have this passion, this heart, this desire... This lust for the flesh. Or has it for things that are not theirs. They envy, they covet, desire the eyes. Those who are proud about themselves and what they've done and who they are. Instead of giving God glory and thinking about nothing we have has, do we have unless it's been given to us by God. In other words, there's a man-centered, man-viewed value, and there's a God-centered value. There's a value of giving God the glory for his world, and there's a value that people choose that only gives glory and honor to mankind, to people. That's the value God wants us to reject. Now, now that we understand the context, what's going on and how to define world, let's do a little quick contrast. Look at John chapter 3, verse 16. John three sixteen. You would know this, this passage. And it says, For God so loved the world. See, he doesn't hate it. Different world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world, doesn't hate it. He wants this world that he loves to believe in Christ and not perish. Contrast that with 1 John two fifteen: Do not love the world or the things in the world. What is that? That's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. See, it's two different kinds of worlds altogether. That's about value. Uh, God demands love for him. God demands love for his will. God demands love for his church. But there's a love he doesn't demand. He doesn't demand that we love the value of getting what we can see if it's outside the will of God. Coveting another man's wife or another woman's husband. Or someone else's kids. No, he said that's an that's evil desire. Don't love that. That's a love I hate. That you would love that. It's, it's kind of like today in our society. For someone who says, I love children. But then get a, a, an abortion. You say, w- w- wait, wait a minute. Those, those are contrary. You, you either love children or you don't. If you love children, you don't abort, abort children. If you love abortion, you don't really love children. Uh, it, they're contrary. And, and God is, is saying that to us, that we need to be careful what we love. Do we love the values of the world, or do we love His values? Uh, His values are not about building ourselves up. It's about building God up and giving Him glory. Um, this, this desire of the eyes, this desire of the flesh... This desire just to please us, man's will. Uh, again, verse end of verse 16. It's not from the Father; it's from the world, and the world's passing away. Another description: these these passions that you have, you can uh, identify them. Are they temporal, or are they eternal? Because the values he's talking about, they pass away; they don't last. They're not eternal. They're not something you take with you into heaven. Now, you take the will of God with you into heaven. The Word of God is still our standard in heaven just as it is on earth. But there's values we have of wanting to be unfaithful, wanting to get what we want. Since that, that passes away, that's cast into outer darkness. That's cast into hell. Um, that doesn't last. We need to think through those values. So what, you know, what are those values? Do you have values for little children and their forgiveness of sins? Remember that? Do you have the values of that middle-aged group that are overcomers, that fight for the will of God, that fight for eternal values in their kids? Do you have that value for people who are faithful to God, who are under God as their father for a 100 years? Do you have those values? Those values last, and they last. He wants us to think through that. Well, let's move to to just this security that we have that's from the Father. It's not from the world. It's something that lasts for us. Lust passes away. Lust is here today. It's gone tomorrow. That's one of the most deceptive things of Satan, the things that Satan promises us when he encourages us and tempts us to lust, His the things He tempts us with, they don't last. It's, it's just a temporal fast pleasure. And it doesn't last. It's from the world. But what God gives us, it doesn't pass away at last. It's secure. Um, the world's passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, I want us to think through just the security that we have here in this text by following it the way God is intended um, there have been many people who have abused this passage of scripture uh, because they're not, they're not sticking with the text the desires of the flesh, desires of the eye and pride of life I know it's harder to stick with it but how many of you heard somebody say um, if you're a Christian you need to give up What's worldly. You need to give up. uh, Rock and roll music. You need to give up. Revealing clothes. And you need to give up alcohol. None of those things are in the text. That's not what it said. It didn't say those things were worldly. And yet. A lot of us would go out of here saying. Oh man. That's. If I was to preach against the sins of alcohol and preach against the sins of revealing clothes. If I would preach about, you know, drummers in a box or something. You know, sen- sensual beats. People would say, yeah, man, we've got to turn away from that. But that's not what's in the text. At all. And yet, we call those people separatists. They say... What God wants us to do is to separate ourselves from what's worldly, to separate from world's culture. And what I knows, know that is in the world is sensual music, revealing clothes, and unruly people because of alcohol. And so I need to, I need to hate it. I need to separate myself from it. And that's not what God's asking. That's not what's in the text at all. God says, I want you to deal with your heart. The desires, the passions in your heart for what is in the flesh. For f- the fleshly, physical pleasures. I want you to deal with what's behind your eyes. In your mind, in your heart that you, you're looking at. The desires of your eyes. You see, it's, it's indicated you don't have it. It's not... In God's will for you to possess it, it's out there. And you desire it, not as a gift, but something you can just take uh, for yourself. And then you want to be proud of how you got it. And God says, that's what I want you to hate. I want you to quit living that way. That's living beyond the will of God. give you a few examples. If you went back into Joshua 7, you remember the guy named Achan, and Achan, when they went to uh, fight the battle of Jericho, where they're marching around the city, and the walls fall down, and God says, "When the walls fall down, I want you to rush in and take the city, the city of Jericho." He says, "But I don't want you to take their clothes. I don't want to take you to take their gold and their silver. I don't want you to take their stuff. I want to utterly destroy it. I'll take care of you. Don't take their stuff." Achan is the man who goes in, and he goes into this tent inside the city, and he sees this beautiful robe. He says, man, look at what I'm wearing. Look, oh, That would look good on me. And he sees gold, and he sees silver. It's the desires of his eyes. It's the desire of his heart to feel how good that robe would feel around him. It's the desire of his eyes to have possession of money that would keep him secure. God says, no, no, that passes away. Anyway, he takes it, goes and hides it. And God says, no, 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 I hate that. I told you ahead of time, I hated that. You're not living in the will of God. Or another example, perhaps, is King David. David uh, didn't go to war when he was supposed to go as the king, Standing out on his veranda. Looking at his kingdom. And he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. And she's a beautiful lady. The desire of his eyes. The desire of his flesh. I want her. I want her as a wife as well. And so he desires her. And he gets his servants to go get her. and Bring her to him. And he commits adultery with, him, with her. God says I hate that. Nothing in the text says. Was anything wrong with her taking a bath where she took a bath? Was nothing wrong with her being beautiful? There was nothing wrong with David looking? What was wrong was the desire of his eyes, the desire of his flesh. What was wrong was his heart. He was seeking life outside the will of God, outside, contrary to God's commands, contrary to the community of the church. God said, I don't love that. I hate that. That's a love I hate. And that's what he wants us to develop, whether we're little children, whether we're the middle fighters, or whether we're the fathers who've been around a while. He says, I want you to, to understand there are things that I am passionately against. It is doing life contrary to my will. And I want you to Do that which doesn't pass away. I want you to do that which is eternal. Uh, Word of caution. nothing wrong with things. What's wrong is being passionate about something God's not passionate about. So let's just evaluate our hearts. Do we want to be proud of ourselves or give glory to God? Do we want to be proud of our own pleasures? Or do we want to be proud... Of what God gives us. How many of us really live, still live for how many social media people follow us, or how many likes we have? And we want to be proud of who we are in our stuff, in our things, that pride of life. Um, What do we truly love? The love God wants us to have. It's the love that takes us all the way to eternity. Um, But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Ask yourself about your passions. Will your passions go all the way to the station if you're on a train? If you're on the tracks of life, do, do your passions make it all the way to the station? Or do they pass away? Are you pursuing somebody that that love's going to... It's just temporal. It's outside the will of God. It's pornographic. It's its adultery. It's its just lust. That's all it is. And it doesn't make it into heaven. Because it's not the will of God. And you know it. God said, that's the love I hate. I want to talk to you about your loves. What do you love? Because there's times you find you're loving things that aren't the will of God, whether you're little children, whether you're the fighters, or whether you're the fathers. You love stuff that passes away. It's not eternal. It's not God's will. True story. I uh, was at gas station and put the Nozzle in my car, and I looked at you know who else was pumping gas, and I saw a guy that I hadn't seen in several years. Was a roofer in town, and I knew him, and so you know clicked off, ran over there, said, "Hey man, it's been a while. How you doing?" Said, "Man, I'm doing good, good." You know, we caught up, did the little chit chat thing, and I said, "You know, you used to come to our church, and quite frankly, I don't know why you quit." You know that anything I do, that anything I, that I hurt you, or anything the church did—is it anything I can do for you now? He said, uh, "He said, he said, well, you probably just don't know this." He says, "But uh, I came to church one morning and uh, coming down the Breeks Way there, and uh, somebody met me before I got to the door, and they uh, said not to come in until I went home and got some shoes." because I was coming barefooted, I like going barefoot I'm on a hot roof a lot of times and I just I mean I love kicking my shoes off and I go a lot of places barefoot and they said I couldn't come in they said I needed to get some different clothes too and I thought really people in my church no can't happen right and yet it did happen and I thought, man, I'm so sorry. My, you know, my heart just sank. How do you fix something like that? You were treated like you, had, you were of no value. And I said, that's not the way we want to treat people at all. I said, how should you have been treated? I said, somebody, whoever's in God's providence, when you see a guest come through the doors, it's like, oh, God's put me in their path. And you welcome them. And you greet them. And you say, hey, glad you're here. Love for you to sit with my family this morning. And after, after the service, we, we've got 10, 20 minutes usually. And we get, we get to know each other. You can come sit with me in my discipleship class. Or I can show you where the kids section is. That's what's supposed to happen. But sometimes that doesn't happen. And it's because we have different values. Our value is on the flesh. How someone dresses. Our value is on how someone makes us feel. Our value is the thing out of our eyes. How someone looks. Our value is on a good show for this world that doesn't make it to the station. We don't take this show all the way in the glory. I think that's what John's dealing with. I think that's what God's dealing with here. He says, There are things I hate, and what it is, it's what's in your heart. It's what it seems like you love and you're passionate for. And I wish there was some way to explain that so that you get it. Um, Little children, don't get caught. With the world's values. Don't get caught looking ahead. And just wanting to be like somebody else. Little children. Look at the will of God. Yeah you've messed that up. But your sins are forgiven. And you can go forward. To those of you who are fighters in that middle aged group. I'm proud of you for fighting for the will of God. Keep keep it up. Don't lose heart. Keep fighting for what's right. Hating what's wrong. And for those of you who are older and you've endured a long time, you may have lost some passion. You may have lost some drive. But stick around. We need you. We need pillars of the church. We need people who've made it. That we can look to. That we can seek wisdom from. And gain understanding. Let's pray together. Father, the passage of Scripture before us this morning is a little different than some. It just seems to be a warm encouragement from our Heavenly Father to think about what's in our hearts, to evaluate whether what we love is what you love, what we desire, is that really what you desire? What we see, is that something you really want us to see and possess? Father, do a work within us. Cleanse us. Take away those desires that are purely earthly, worldly, that don't make it into glory. Let us have a heavenly mind, a heavenly heart Let us think about what you think about. Let us love what you love. Let us know your word, your commands, your church, and see your passions there, that we might grow, that we might bring you honor and glory, both now and forever. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.